First there was Selby, now there is not. Ira's come along. Joey Buttafuoco showed up now and then. Rabbi Schneerson became our friend. Rise guys and rise gals and Jamie and Paul. Without you, what would we do? Isn't it nifty? It's episode 50 of Mad About, Mad About You. I got chills. Hey! That should be the theme song almost. <laughs> John D. Ivy, you've been replaced. Yeah, except you can't be because you said episode 50. <laughs> That's right. Oh, lyrics can be tweaked, baby. You expired your own song. <laughs> that was great. Well, thank you. Oh, it's so many great memories. I forgot about all of those. Right? How yeah, about Rabbi that? Schneerson. Mm-hmm. With the beepers. Gets a mention. Of Joey Buttafuoco, episode plan. one. Joey Buttafuoco, sure. I'm so sick of him. <laughs> Welcome, Rise Guys and Rise Gals, to episode 50 of Mad About, Mad About You, your Mad About You recap podcast. My name is Russ Fader. And I'm John Marbley. John, happy 50th. Happy 50th. We made it. We made it. I can't even believe it. Can you? Yeah, uh, I guess no, because I can't say yeah, but... I mean, I can... All right, here's how I can believe it. I, we were pretty determined to get... We were, we're planning on doing 164 episodes. Right. So eventually, we were going to get to less than one-third of them. Yeah, I didn't expect us to quit. <laughs> right. And now here we are. Yeah. In the manner in which I expected to be here. Is a farmer surprised at harvest time? <laughs> Whoa, where did all this corn come from? <laughs> can you believe it? I mean, 50 I mean, I know, seasons. <laughs> I know that yesterday, this was a very tall stalk. <laughs> yeah, but now without it's tall. Corn. But now it's even taller, and there is corn. <laughs> I know I planted it and did everything, and that slowly, it all came to corn size. But now here we are. Yeah, I'm about as surprised By the way, as a my farmer name is on August 30th. You know that expression? <laughs> yeah, that old chestnut. Yeah. <laughs> Sort of like the story of the girl and the celery. Sort of like the classic fable <laughs> of the celery and the cookie. Which we'll get to. I said my name. Did you say your name? Yeah. Did we do that already? Yeah. Great. I'm still Russ Fader. You all know who I am. Because <laughs> I said it already. <laughs> you said it. John, Or anything else that you want to report on in your life? No. Great. Same. So, as we've said, this is episode 50 of Mad About Mad About You. We're going to be talking about season four. Nope. Season three, episode four. <laughs> the episode is titled When I'm 64, like the Beatles song, and uh, like the little ditty that I uh, put together for the top of the show. All right. Since I know you love ranking things, what's your favorite Mad About Mad About You episode? Mad About Mad About You episode? Yeah, your favorite. Let's get self-indulgent. Your favorite thing that we've ever done. No idea. Oh, like no favorite idea. bit, maybe? Whatever. I don't even know. I don't remember the opening of this episode. <laughs> right? It's all a slog at the bottom. No, it really right? is. When people <laughs> say a bit, I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. Isn't that funny? Yeah. It's funny because there have been so many times in which 
I've listened to podcasts and a conversation that two comedians will have will spark something in me. And I'm like, oh, I should flesh that out and turn that into a bit. And I'm like, oh, but I can't because they did it. And I'm sure that if you were to talk to them, they'd be like, I said that? What are you talking about? Yeah, that's about? true. That's true. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember anything we say on here. Great. <laughs> I mean, I am partial, I guess, the Lubavitch Beeper story. Yeah. That's a chestnut. They're great. Also, me describing you being repulsed by the story about New York City's manure being exported to other states <laughs> <laughs> and me quoting the sanitation workers. That was a fun, that was a gem. I'm thinking about the marathon drummers. Oh my gosh, that's right. That's an run, amazing story. Run a marathon all the way around. <laughs> all the way around the United, the United States. States with their drums. Wild drumming, gigantic drums. They have like bleeding feet and like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> buckets of blood. <laughs> oh, or that one time I just straight cut to the news and it was a dead baby left in a duffel bag. I think I remember that. Because I prefaced it with saying we're not going to do any more dark stories. Yes. And then I said, a baby was found in a duffel bag in Central Park. <laughs> but it was okay. The baby was okay. Baby's so fine. So it's really an uplifting story, thank God. I think we cut out one news segment. Oh, where... we've cut a few out. Have we? I know there was at least one where it was just like somebody was built into a wall. Yeah. Something like that. Wait, really? I think so. Because I think then later I said a, I made a joke about somebody being built into a wall. Oh, it didn't make it, any sense. It didn't make any right. sense. Right, yeah. I think that's right. So... There's a chestnut, an Easter egg for you guys. Yeah. There you go. This podcast could be really dark if we wanted it to be. Right? <laughs> I also like that now we've like we've retrofitted where it's like, ooh, now people are going to go back and listen for the Easter egg of talking about somebody built into a wall and be like, oh, there it is. That's what Russ and John were talking about in episode 50, and it'll be doubly, it'll suddenly be cathartic. Cathartic's the wrong word. I don't think it is. That's now a payoff. Ah, it was something that didn't yeah. make any sense, and now it's a future punchline to this story. Well, let's all have some of the lemonade that Russ just made from that <laughs> dirty lemon. <laughs> Fantastic. As always, a joy to record with you, John. Likewise. Let's get into it. Great. What did TV Guide say? Do we say when it aired? No, it aired October 13th, 1994. Wicker... Jerry Adler, in parentheses, mm -hmm. moves in with the Buckmans after confessing a flirtation to his wife, Anita Gillette. There you go. Sometimes I leave the actors out that they put in parentheticals, but when they're in the body of the description, I read them. That's fair. And also, anytime Jerry Adler comes up, I want you to say his name. Yeah, he it's a very it. fun name to say. He is so good. He's... He's so natural and chill. It feels like they hired a super to play the super. It's a remarkable performance. It He's really, really is. Great. It's He's so really, understated. Really I love Jerry Adler. Yeah, me so too. So much. And this is such a great episode for him. There's so much to talk about that we'll get to. Yeah. As far as this blurb goes, I've talked about it on this show before. I take issue with the idea of moves in with. Jerry Adler did not move in with the Buckmans. Jerry Adler I mean, stayed on their couch for a couple nights. Okay. You know that's what I mean? fair. Yeah. Because that feels like, I, I, like I said, years ago, I spent the weekend at college I went to visit my friend Kim at the University of Delaware. I met her four roommates, and I crashed there. And then in thinking back, I was just like, remember when I lived with those four girls for the weekend? It's impactful. It's like, hey, Russ, you didn't live with them. I yeah. like, no, we were. I was the fifth roommate for a whole weekend. It's like, no, you weren't. You just crashed on a couch for a little while and hung out. Yeah, you just That's really not... want to feel like Hugh Hefner. 
There were no bills addressed to me. <laughs> I didn't have my own groceries in the fridge. I didn't live with anybody. <laughs> that is very true. You're right. And Wicker doesn't either. Yeah, that's a great right. point. Yeah. Come on, TV Guide. Come on. Well, you know what? For them, I expect it. I expect this kind of nonsense. I know. Them. That's not. Don't hate the institution. Hate the individuals. <laughs> That's the widest version of don't hate the player, hate the game. <laughs> Tupac, come on, Biggie. Don't hate the don't hate the publication. Hate the individuals. Tupac? The institution. And Biggie? Tupac, uh, oh, boy. No, I know. But who said don't hate the player, hate the game? You know, probably nobody. Probably neither of them. I thought it was, it was don't hate time. the game, hate the player. No. Well, that's my philosophy. That's <laughs> Yeah, it is. Yeah. It really it is. It truly is, yeah. <laughs> I don't want to. Hey, though, I don't want to get into a John thing. Marbley, don't hate the game. Hate the player. I don't want to get into a Where's thing. Where's our t shirt? <laughs> I love that you're missing the whole point of what that means. No, I'm not. Am I? I know you're not, but like, it's like, hey, man, it's a way of, I guess, getting away scot free with doing. Yeah, look, I'm going to. I'm gonna yes. be with ladies. No, it's what it is. Don't be mad at me. It's the way the system works. And I get that. Yeah, that's what Mr. Wicker says in this episode. Right, right. Look, I'm I'm gonna be with ladies. <laughs> Don't hate the player. Hate the game. Hey, Russ. Yes, sir. What else was on television? Great question. You're watching NBC. Let me tell you about what else was on television. It's our third episode of breaking down must-see TV for fall of 1994. So we've made it to NBC's 9.30 slot, which for this season and this season only belongs to Madman of the People. Oh, that's right. Yeah. It's a Dabney Coleman feature. And the show, by the way, co-produced by Steve Paymer. No kidding. Good yeah, for Steve. no kidding. Good for Steve. Two I'm shows sure. on the air at the same time. Yeah, he's doing well. He's got Rolling 8 o'clock in, in the 9.30. Yeah. Dabney Coleman stars as Jack Madman Buckner, an outspoken newspaper columnist who has written for Your Times Magazine for 30 years. Your Times Magazine? That's the name of the magazine. That sounds like a senior citizen free press zine, doesn't <laughs> it? It does. Yes, it does. <laughs> hey, did, did you get the Your Times? We put it together. Yeah, right. If seniors had a zine. They do. <laughs> they do. Yeah. I found one saying. in Burbank once and we read it the whole day and it was fascinating. And sweet and sad. Yes. Because there were a lot of ads for elder abuse reporting. Oh, gosh. Better call Saul. Oh, is that part of the show? That is part of it. That's part of the plot line of the first two seasons. Oh, that's interesting. That's good. It's a really good show. I love... They're heavy because it deals with end of life all the time. But, like, do you ever see Getting On on HBO, too? No. That's another great show about the elderly. Like, every actor's above, like, 80. Except, what's your name? (laughs) From Lady Bird. The mom. Oh, um, you know, is Lori Metcalf. Yeah, yeah. Except Lori Metcalf. Everyone else is like eighty and up, and it's about a also, nursing home. Or a, is that the one that also has Alex Borstein and Nisi Nash? Probably. I don't know. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so this also stars Cynthia Gibb, who I learned was Sandy in Short Circuit Two. <gasps> really? Yep. I don't remember Sandy. That's the love interest. That's the love interest. She did other things, but I was just like, Cynthia Gibb, why does that name ring a bell? And I watched a little bit of the episode. I was like, she looks vaguely familiar. And then I looked it up, and it was Sandy Benatoni. Wow. I have seen Short Circuit 2 so many times. <laughs> More than one? Yes. 
I think as a kid, I liked two more than one. I don't know if I liked it more. I know it was on HBO more. You know what? I think that's a dumb kid thing. Because I'm thinking about it now. Sequel's even better. Yeah. Because I liked yeah, Ghostbusters I right. 2 more as a kid. I liked Teenage yep. Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 more as a kid. Because they don't need to spend all that time establishing yeah, right. characters. We just know everybody. Yeah. Let's just get into it. Terminator 2? Yeah. Well, that one stands. Sure. Plus, things get sillier. Yes. As sequels happen. Yes, they do. Like how much sillier Godfather 2 is than the original Godfather. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lie and a joke. I've never seen Godfather 2. I'm the worst person on the planet. Oh, my gosh. I know. Terrible, right? I watched Godfather 2. Well, let me tell you about two. the first 11 minutes of Mad Men of the People I watched today. Wait, hold on, though. <laughs> Just to make a point about Godfather 2. Yeah. I rented it in high school mm -hmm. in Japan, mm -hmm. not knowing that in this three-hour movie, like, half of it is in Italian. Yes. I didn't understand a word they were saying for half the movie, <laughs> and it was still incredibly good. I believe it. And clear. I thought you were going to be like, Russ, getting Godfather 2 in Japan in the 90s was considered a war crime. <laughs> I almost went to Japanese prison trying to get Godfather 2. It wasn't It wasn't the Soviet Union. It was, it's a global world. Are you sure? World. We had everything. Know. We used to run Alley McField types. They had things we didn't have in America. John, you know this is going out. This podcast is going out. <laughs> There's People a statute going to hear of this and track you I'm down. Fine. I'm fine. <laughs> Statute of limitations yeah. on renting tapes. They used to release Ally McBeal out there on tape. That's wonderful. Not here. Not That's true. That's a great point. We used to rent it and watch it at lunch, a little group. You said yes. I remember this. The Ally McBeal Lunch Club. Yeah, it's a little nerdy. That's so great. Yeah, it's tell me about the first 11 minutes. Oh, Craig Bierko's in the show. First 11 minutes are okay. Except that, you know what? They of don't episode even... three or episode one? No, no. I actually, the only episode that was on YouTube was the Christmas episode. <gasps> Called it's a mad bad mad mad Christmas. Was it? I think that's what Are it was you called. That sounds about right. I didn't. I mean, it was boring. This was not a. It's so strange because I was like, I'm not in on this show. Really. Okay. It was. It was right. kind of boring. Madman's wife wants to have a Christmas party, and he's just like, No, oh, I don't want to have a Christmas party. And okay. Then Craig Bierko is also in this show. He's a cast member. <laughs> Are you not a huge Craig Bierko fan? No, I like him just fine. Oh, okay. I thought that was noteworthy. But another thing that they, I learned about this show, I don't need to talk about too much of the 11 minutes that I saw because I didn't love them. And they right. weren't, I think that's a good um, move. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but the show was ranked 12th for the season, which is not bad. What does that mean? Against it means, the other episodes? No, I'm sorry. Mad Men of the People was ranked 12th. That night? For No, I'm sorry. Not for this episode. Like for the For the season. The entire season. Mad Men of the People was number 12 for, I think, shows. Ratings-wise. Ratings-wise. That is amazing. Yeah, it did really well. And then it was canceled. And that yeah, how did it get canceled the, if it was doing that well? It makes it one of the highest-rated shows to <gasps> ever be canceled. No kidding. Yeah. And the way that it happened was NBC was like, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to put Friends in the 930 slot. They put Friends at 930? I think they did it for a season. I got to double-check. I think they did Friends at 930. Or did they bump Friends up to eight? I think eight. It was Friends and then Single Guy and then... Seinfeld. I don't know. Seinfeld I thought was 9.30 maybe. No, Seinfeld then Caroline in the City. Then Caroline in the City. Yeah. I think you're right. But uh, So maybe that's it. But regardless, when you establish that, you trim Dabney Coleman out of the system. That's awful. It's Boy, rough. different world. We'd be doing a Mad Men of the People podcast. You're right. 
Let me read the People magazine was not so kind to the show. I'll read this and then we'll get to talk about other things. Here's what they said. Tart sitcom curmudgeon Dabney Coleman <laughs> stars as an outspoken vinegary magazine columnist. Ah, man's highest calling, which at first I thought was sarcastic, but then I realized that's exactly what they're doing oh, and they're being very no. silly. Right. <laughs> Unfortunately, the job description is being utilized in one of the season's worst shows. The magazine's new publisher is his daughter. He doesn't approve of her policies or her boyfriend. The atmosphere of this impoverished sitcom is canned and phony. The jokes are noxious. End of review. Ouch. <laughs> yeah. D plus. Talk about madman of the people. <laughs> Could 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 as well be about this guy, huh? Yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's what, what I mean. Saying, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Thanks, thanks for hammering that home. Russ. Yeah. <laughs> Forget subtlety. <laughs> John, what happened in the news? From WNBC TV, this is News for New York with Chuck Scarborough and Pat Harper. Dateline. Go ahead. Lost and found in Tokyo and New York. This is a letter to the editor of the New York Times. Okay. Last June, I forgot my jacket in the Tokyo subway. It contained several business cards, a fountain pen, and some small change. I was not worried. A few calls to the lost and found office, and I would certainly have my jacket delivered. But this piece of clothing, oversized for most Japanese, was never returned. It is lost. Now, conversely, he says, a few weeks ago, I took a taxi from downtown New York City to Kennedy International Airport. Uh oh. When I left the cab, I forgot my silk scarf. <laughs> so this guy, <laughs> this guy's imputing these two countries, but also it's like, dude, <laughs> you're a mess. Yeah. The silk Who scarf. comes out worse in this? Yeah. Japan or you? <laughs> the silk scarf was a birthday gift from my wife. Not exactly what I wish to lose. Yeah, you're going to be in some hot water. Yeah. I think I saw this episode of Mad Men of the People. Right? <laughs> yeah, this premise is a little bit stock, yeah. buddy. As soon as I settled in the airport lounge, ugh, that means a first-class passenger, I called the number, this uh, this first-class airport lounger left his silk scarf in a cab. I called the number. Yeah. I used my brand-new cellular telephone. Right, that's right. I cost... $1,500. <laughs> I called the number on my cab receipt and left the details. Three days later, a courier package arrived in Tokyo. What a surprise. The package contained my silk scarf with a simple message, courtesy of the New York taxi cabs. Can you believe that? That's pretty great. So then he goes great on. for the cabs, anyway. Tokyo used to be perfectly safe, and you used to get back what you lost. The Japanese are not making the same efforts they used to. New York has a bad image. And it has a hard time competing with the safety standards of Japan. Yet many are trying to change that image. The next time I return to New York, I will feel a bit more welcome. Here in Tokyo, I must be a bit more careful. Gunter Pali, Tokyo. <laughs> What's this guy trying to do? <laughs> Start a trade war? <laughs> yeah, at the very least. He's just trying to Tokyo keep... Tokyo cabs are like this. New York cabs are like this. Yeah, he's the Yakov Smirnoff of... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> the New York Times. <laughs> Dateline, this is a classic New York story. Oh, boy. Do, 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 do. Go ahead. Bicyclist is arrested in three sidewalk stabbings. What? 
A brisk pedaling man on a mountain bike was arrested early yesterday after he stopped, stabbed a 32-year-old singer walking down the street in midtown Manhattan, and then rode off into the night. Holy this isn't cow. funny. The only reason I'm reading it is because no one died. Great. And because it's like how jaded New Yorkers were at the time will come across in this article. I'm going to ask you very quickly. I'm going to interrupt. Look, you say this isn't funny. That's not true because nobody did die. So all of this is funny. Yeah. Who now does can, that? What's funnier? Biking, stopping, getting off your bike, stabbing a guy, and getting back on your bike, or just biking along and stabbing a guy as you go? Stopping. I, th I think I agree. A hundred percent. Because it sort of defeats the whole purpose of like being on a quick getaway thing. <laughs> I didn't even think of it that way. I was thinking of it like a joust. Like, like if you're, people like, don't get off their bikes right. in general, right? Unless they have to. Sure. Like you don't yes, stop even unless true. you have to. Like it's a bit. You got to get the kickstand. Yeah, kickstand. That's right. You got you to get your the lock. Yeah. Your lock, maybe you're removing your front yeah, wheel. Take the tire. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Did this guy get to his target like 15 minutes? Where he's just like, all right, soon he's going to be here. Where's that? Yeah, he had to get sculpture. back on the bike and bike up another block. And then <laughs> where's that sculpture that David Byrne made so that I can lock my bike up? Wait, where's that sculpture? There's a whole bunch of them. There's wait, what? David Byrne. Where who bicycles everywhere? No, I know from that. The talking heads. Yeah, he. I know something. A... Look at that, everyone. I know a music reference. That's First it. of all, that's great for you. Secondly, people who aren't you are listening to this. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I'm talking. Pretend I'm talking to them right I now. I assume everyone knows more than me. That's all. <laughs> that's fair. You're an idiot. So I. <laughs> so. So yeah, there's one across the street from PlayStation Theater. Really? One In near Times the Square? Brooklyn Academy of Music. Yeah, just And what is it? Across the street from Times Square uh, or in Times Square, across the street from PlayStation Theater, there's like a pinup girl, like a silhouette you'd see on a mud flap. Yeah, on like one of those. <laughs> you know, I, I guarantee you that everybody's Yeah, Russ, Google, I think I have those on my truck. <laughs> Google, but you've seen trucks, right? Yeah, I have. So you know what I'm talking about? That's such a funny descriptor. Yeah. Like, because so, everyone knows what a pinup girl is. That's true so, the helping too. hand of, like, so you know, mud flaps on a semi. <laughs> that's a great point. But anyway. That's cool. I got to check it out. I had no idea. So, yeah. So, this imaginary bicyclist slash murderer. Oh, was David Byrne? <laughs> yes. Well, read on. Let's find out. <laughs> the suspect, identified as Eli Granger, 32, ah. was charged with three counts of attempted murder in connection with three stabbings. The first on September 28th, the second the next day. He lives in a small first-floor apartment on East 74th Street, is unemployed, and has been under private psychiatric care. Oh, that just means like a normal therapist, right? Probably. Like not a state-sanctioned. That doesn't mean like he just talks to a buddy and the buddy <laughs> charges him. <laughs> Probably not. I can't be sure, though. Oh, here's one. The victim yesterday, Kevin Hall, was heading home from a piano bar in Greenwich Village shortly after midnight. Sounds like fun. Maybe Marie's Crisis. Maybe. A great time. A musician who moonlights as a proofreader in a law firm. He had taken the A train to 8th Avenue and 42nd Street. You know, I didn't look this guy up, but I feel like there's a chance he's written a musical, right? About this? Or something. Like, he sounds like a composer, doesn't he? He might. Kevin, what was his name? Well, Kevin it says Hall? a musician who moonlights, right. Kevin Hall. Yeah. Taking the A train to 8th Avenue and 42nd and was walking down West 45th Street towards his apartment eating ice cream. Oh, man. 
Also, where did you... Oh, probably a bodega, right? Well, who knows what the ice cream situation was like back then. At Port Authority? Not great, probably. <laughs> well, you could, you could get ice cream at Port Authority now. That's true, but they just... Re Port Authority's a beautiful gem now. That's true. <laughs> Yesterday, Mr. Hall said he was heading down the block between 9th and 10th Avenue, concentrating on watching police officers round up what he believed were prostitutes. Hang on a second. Are you calling him a liar? No, I'm not. Are you saying, wait a second, where'd this ice cream come from? Something smells fishy. I'm questioning his taste. Okay, fair. Go ahead. He was sitting down the block between 9th and 10th, concentrating on watching police officers round up what he believed were prostitutes. Mr. Granger like rolled by, braked, and struck up a conversation, he said. He smiled, Mr. Hall said. He seemed very friendly. He was very close to me. He motioned with his head and asked me what was going on. I said, I didn't know. Suddenly, he stabbed me. Mr. Hall said it happened so fast he didn't see the knife. He said that he and Mr. Granger were only about 30 feet from the police roundup, but the officers didn't realize why he screamed as Mr. Granger left. Quote, I had to run to them and tell them what happened. The chief of detectives, John J. Hill, said that Mr. Hall's first words to the officers were, quote, I think I've been stabbed. <laughs> wow. He pulled open his coat, Chief Hill said, and they saw that he was bleeding. Then he said, yup. I've been stabbed. That's right. Like, it's just... And then the, he's being interviewed the next day. Like, it's such a, like, non... Yeah. His story's being told as casually as, like, I left my sunglasses at the yeah. su on the he subway. Continued, he continued, huh, how about that? Yeah, right. Anyway, how about this pistachio? Two scoops, 99 cents. Not bad for Port Authority. <laughs> yeah, we don't know what happened to the ice cream. <laughs> The bicyclist could have taken it. That's lazy journalism. Yeah. <laughs> so the cops took him to St. Clair's Hospital, blah, blah, blah. So they put out a broadcast and alert. Officer Timothy Torres on duty in a police van on West 50th Street at 8th Avenue heard the alert, saw a man on a bike whiz by. He chased the cyclist, finally wrestling him to the pavement. After the struggle, which left Officer Torres with scratches and bruises, the police say they found a knife with a retractable four-inch long blade on the street near the bicycle. Wow. Mm -hmm. Also, before I realized what they meant by retractable, I thought, wait, do you mean like a prop knife? <laughs> like, a, <laughs> like one of those... <laughs> Knives where you press on the blade and it depresses into the handle. Yeah, this was just a big precursor to sleep no more. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. That's how this all ties up. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, this is also the brazen nature in which he did. He did it on, he also stabbed someone on 45th and 5th. Like, right in the middle of this. Like, that's such a busy area. Yeah, yeah. Mr. Granger was arrested last October. Oh, this is, so this is an unrelated arrest of this guy prior. Okay. Last October 30th, after riding down a Manhattan sidewalk and hitting city councilman Andrew Aristoff, a Republican from the east side. Mr. Just hitting him? Yeah. Mr. Aristoff, like a kamikaze. Mr. Aristoff, <laughs> a co-sponsor of a bill that would let the police seize bicycles ridden on city sidewalks, asked Mr. Granger to move to the street. Wow. Mr. Aristoff received 22 stitches and a gash in his cheek. Mr. Granger pled guilty to disorderly conduct and was sentenced to five days of community service and was ordered to pay Mr. Aristoff's medical bills. Okay. And then he went on a stabbing spree. Yeah. A few months they later. They should have taken his bike away. That's the weird irony of this story. Yeah. Now, I have one last story. I know that one went a little longer, which it did. means I nailed it. <laughs> yeah, it was a good one. But Look, I think you. I feel like you nailed it. I feel like it was great. I feel like you got good laughs, and I feel like it went long. So, by all means, let's puncture that balloon. <laughs> okay, you throw it out a gauntlet. I'm going to clear it. <laughs> Dateline. 
<laughs> Go ahead. About New York, our favorite column, written by David Gonzalez, defender of the faithful who struggle to save pets. Flo Phillips is tired of people treating their pets like animals. Specifically, she's tired of the people who get downright inhuman when a dog is lost because of carelessness or crime. Knowing little about their pet when they had it, they often know less when it comes to the search. Blah, 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 blah. Don't misunderstand me, she says. It's a beautiful city in many ways, but there are too many animals. If you lose one... Oh, no, that's not her. This is a, a East Side resident. <laughs> this is just another jaded New Yorker talking about pets. There are too many animals. If you lose one, buy another. <laughs> that's the attitude people have. They know there are plenty out there. It's like telling a widower, hey, there's a lot of fish in the sea. Hey, come on. Don't yeah, worry come about on. it. So here's the deal. She's a real, this this older East Side resident is a real life Ace Ventura pet detective. Oh my gosh. Over the years, she has hoarded hundreds of lost and found ads, photos, and reports of missing dogs inside the Manila folder database of, quote, Pet Watch, her one person agency dedicated to reuniting pets with their owners. Aww. Unlike her movie counterpart, she often has little to laugh about. This is so sad. Um, yeah, that's most of what this job is, I'm sure. Yeah, she's like the Humphrey Bogart. She's the noir version of yeah. Ace Ventura. She's seen animals discarded like last season's fashions. When a family returns from summer vacation and realizes that nobody wants to care for the pet. What? New Yorkers were awful pet owners. I'm sure they still are, by and large. From early morning wake-up calls to late-night jolts, she's also amazed at how the people who contact her don't know the slightest precautions they can take to protect, if not find, their pet. She started learning soon after the 1981 death of her dog, Rocky, a lovable mutt who accompanied her for 18 years. In her grief, she spoke to other dog owners who suggested she adopt a pound pup. What struck her most was the sheer number of animals she saw in cages. Some were lost, others abandoned, and many of them shared a common fate, which we know what that is. Mm -hmm. She said, I just couldn't sit back and do nothing. With more time on her hands after quitting her secretarial job. This is like a Jerry Maguire story. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Who's with me? Who's with me? <laughs> Smuckers? Come on. Miss <laughs> <laughs> Philip delved into her network of animal rescue groups and began scanning the lost and found ads for pets. Through word of mouth and mailings to vets, she offered her tips and clip file as a service to reunite pets with... This is so old school. It's very old school. I like that you were like, oh, we're laughing, we're having fun. Okay, real quick, I just want to talk about mass pet death. No, rescuing. <laughs> Well, Mass we gotta get to the we gotta get to the rescuing part because so far they're all just dead. We haven't <laughs> gotten. To you know what? I'm skimming the rest of the article, which I had not read until now. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. She would like to uh, blah blah blah. She wants a registry. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's. She's reminded of the recent episode when the city was taken with the story of a tourist family whose dachshund was stolen and eventually found in Manhattan. Quote, it lifted, but that, she didn't save that one. <laughs> no, she's just reminded of a story. Let's read that article. Well, I just walked straight into that goblet and hit me in the head. <laughs> yeah, it did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got a big frying pan shaped bruise on the <laughs> my face. <laughs> All right. Well, I blew it. <laughs> I love you so much. Let's all go back to the stabbing story. That was those were the times. <laughs> Great job, Johnny. Ugh. Thanks a lot, Flo. <laughs> 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 
Oh, man. All right, let's get into this episode, shall we? Yeah, it was directed by a Jewish Steve Martin, David Steinberg. Hooray. And it was written, we got a new writer? We do, don't we? Yeah, Mr. Victor Levin. Any relation? To Steve Levin? To Ira Levin. Who's Ira Levin? Ira Levin wrote Death Trap and other plays and whatnot. Right. I don't know how to know that. Um, It's not, Russ, it's not the most unique last name. You know what I'm saying? I guess that's true, but they're both in showbiz. They're both writers. Ira Levin? Mm-hmm. Is Ira Levin <laughs> Victor Levin's brother? Let's ask Google. Unclear. <laughs> Uncle- <laughs> Unclear. What else did Victor Levin do? He just wrote a screenplay called Drink, Play, Bleep for Warner Brothers. Great. I like how we're getting comfortable including curse words and titles, but not really because we still bleep them out. Are you being sarcastic when you say that? Yes. I hate it. Me too. I hate it also. Just find another word. You know you can't say it. Yeah. Don't say it. It's a weird thing that happens when you read pilot scripts for auditions and stuff. And they still, like for a network series, they still have like tons of curse words in them. It's, John, it drives me effing crazy. Why do people do this? To get the point across. And then I guess they're like, we'll clean it up when we shoot it. What the F? Say the word or don't. (laughs) Oh, he wrote When a Date with Tad Hamilton. Oh, he's a very successful screenwriter. I mean, that was a $24 million movie. Except for that one? What? (laughs) Except for that movie? (laughs) Well, I mean, he sold a screenplay to a studio. So he, he- That's true. Definitely made some coin. Oh, and he's a writer on the Mad About You, the Spanish version. And, oh, Mad Men, 13 episodes, co-executive producer. Oh, cool. Yeah, so he's had a long career. Dream On, 23 episodes. Great. Mad About You, he's with us till the end. Nice. Yeah. Welcome aboard, Victor. Yeah, welcome, Vic. Oh, and Baby Talk, haven't we talked about that before? I don't think so. Was that, which one was that? Was that uh... I think it's like a Look Who's Talking show that didn't last, last oh, two seasons. right. I was thinking Baby Mama just now. Oh, no, with Tony Baby Danza. Talk, yeah. That's fun. Oh, and everyone's favorite, Scott Baio. Everyone's favorite. Yeah. <laughs> well, MAGA. <laughs> so what did you think of this episode in general? Say that again. <laughs> what did you think of this episode in general? I liked it a lot. It made me rethink the things that I often say about this show when I don't like them. Yes. It was like an and episode that felt like we shouldn't like it based on our past sentiments right yep but i kind of like nothing happens nothing happens i do miss episodes like the wedding one where they confront each other in the closet yes i miss that that's what i love about the show right this season's been incredibly innocuous so far so far yes yeah normally this uh, kind of an episode would be like no nothing happened What's, what's the big deal but jerry adler is so good yeah And we care enough about him that that carries the weight of the episode. Yeah, that's true. And it's funny. Like, Victor Levin writes some really funny jokes that are really dumb. I agree. I had a lot of just, I took a lot of notes for this episode. I'm hoping to be able to edit my way through it as we go so that this episode isn't four hours long. So did I. So by all of these, let's dive in. Here we go. So, no cold open. Yeah, you know you're in for something real when there's no cold open. (laughs) We dive right in. And we get to the apartment, and we keep on ping-ponging between the interior of the apartment and the exterior of the apartment, or rather, I should say, the hallway. Yeah, it's a regular Pyramus and Thisbe situation. (laughs) I don't know. 
to what that refers, but it is very funny. The old tale. I don't know that tale. From uh, Midsummer Night's Dream that the rude mechanicals are always the play they're putting on. That's right. And they're, se- yes. they're two lovers okay. separated by a wall with a tiny hole in it but through which they talk. I forgot all about that being what that's called. Yes, 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 yes. That's so funny. You're great, John. <laughs> I think that's what this is a nod to. <laughs> Um, I don't really. Uh, okay. Uh, uh, <laughs> well, good. That's like yesterday. So, yeah, I think Paul's in the apartment. <laughs> it doesn't matter. There's a scene. <laughs> in- Are you sure? I'll show you the world. What's the song from Aladdin? It's the world. It's the end of the world. I'll show you the world. A whole new world. It's a whole new world. <laughs> it's the end of the world from Aladdin. <laughs> and the carpet flies across. Six o'clock. The- Genie hour. Don't get caught in the Jafar's tower. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> they fly across the moon at one point. Yeah. And I turned to Christine. And I was like, do you think that's an allusion to E.T.? To E.T.? Absolutely. Wait, do you? Yeah. So did I. Well, it's one of those things where, look, probably not. But once something does it iconically, that's it. That's true. Period. The end. Yeah. Even thinking now about like the original Batman movie with Tim Burton. Uh-huh. When the bat wing flies up and goes up in front of the moon, and you're like, that's how we get the bat signal eventually. But now I'm looking back, and I'm like, that might have been a nod to E.T. <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah. I'm like, you, you can't just be putting stuff up in front of the moon. Yeah. That's E.T. Period. The end. I'd love to meet whatever TV director did the moon shot in like a 1972 TV movie. He's <laughs> <It was> furious. <laughs> the other guy. <laughs> So Paul is in the apartment, Jamie's outside the apartment, and there's a huge armoire between them Yeah, wedged in the door. This happened to me recently. Oh, yeah? I couldn't get the couch through the door. Did you pivot? Yeah. Oh, are you? Well, I didn't do anything, but the movers <laughs> pivoted. Sure. They pivoted their face off. <laughs> couldn't happen? I had to hire someone called a couch doctor to come. What'd they do? They disassemble your couch. Really? Yeah, no, any couch, they can disassemble it. And sometimes that means, they didn't have to do this to mine, I don't think, though they did take the upholstery out, and they might have made some cuts. But they'll cut the thing in half if they have to. And then they have a way to put it back together so you can't tell. That's amazing. Yeah, it's like a New York thing. I think There's a whole microeconomy of like New York couch surgeons. I can't believe how stupid this is, but I'm going to buy a couch that's too big for my home. Just to watch the show? Just to have this happen. Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to buy the biggest couch I can find. Yeah, that would be interesting. That's a show I would watch. (laughs) We have this huge couch and this tiny little door. (laughs) Get to work, fellas. (laughs) Big couch, tiny home, coming to TLC. That does, yeah, yeah. (laughs) So I can relate, is all I'm saying. I... Yeah, I believe you. There's nothing worse. They're keeping it very cool. I was a wreck when it was happening to me. Sure. I can understand why you would be. So, yeah, Jamie's got these movers, and the intercom is picking up interference as they're doing oh, all yeah, of this. Oh, yeah, from the street. It's like picking up from street, street noise. Yeah. Steve Pamer's doing four different voices. Oh, they're all Steve Pamer. I think so. I think you're right. Yeah. I love the New York voices. It's like, hey, get over here. Hey, I'm here. That's what it's like. Yeah. Hey, do you have money? Just like strange things. Yeah. Jamie wants to tip the movers, but Paul doesn't have a 20. He's got a million singles. He says, apparently I work in an arcade. Mm, Love that reference. Jamie tells him to use the sock under the sink, which Which, is a weird thing to have. And it's a filthy sock when he gets it. Yeah. I'm like, even if you did have a sock under the sink, 
at no point would you be like, hey, that dirty under the sink sock, fill it with money and throw it out the window to strangers. Well, because they don't want to get rid of real socks. I, I mean, I get that. Do but you? Just, I, I, <laughs> I do. I'd say find the next to worst sock that you have that isn't visibly filthy where you're like we've all got socks that are like one or two wears away from being garbage i don't know i do know okay and it's what i just said <laughs> what are you gonna do with the other sock throw it in the trash yeah okay look it was bound to happen sooner or later anyway i would do what they did i think oh, no i wouldn't I, i'm too embarrassed no, yeah yeah i'm like i don't believe that from word go i don't want anyone you. to think i'm a dirty person yeah yeah <laughs> i think so, that sock was doing a plumbing fix and it was left there by Mr. Stemple. Interesting. That's my theory of the sock. I like that. I like that theory very much. Have we seen Mr. Stemple since he was... No. Since Paul he Dooley played baby, him? right? No. Paul Dooley. But soon to be Carol O'Connor, I think, right? Soon to be Carol O'Connor. Can't wait. Is there a Ned Beatty, Paul Dooley, you know, the whole Bill Paxton, Bill Pullman thing where people always confuse them? I can I see. could see that. I had to look yeah. up Ned Beatty. <laughs> Like, I know yeah. his name. Oh. I don't remember what he looks like. Now You're I do. You're kidding me. What's he, he in? He your favorite thing in your favorite movie. He's in Lethal Weapon 4? <laughs> He's in Double Indemnity? He's in Network. Oh, my gosh. You're right. He says your favorite monologue of all time. No. That's not my favorite monologue from Network. Really? Yeah. My favorite monologue is uh, you have meddled with the primal forces of nature, Mr. Beale. That's him, isn't it? Wait, is it? Yes. Really? Yes. No, doesn't he play the main guy in Network? The guy who died later, Peter Finch? Oh, that's Peter Finch. Yeah, Peter Finch does. Oh, get Ned up, Beatty's get, get my favorite, one of my favorite Person. performances on film. Yes. Oh, I didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> I never, I don't know, I never looked to, I just. You never put a famous name to that famous face in that famous movie. Also, I got to tell you, all the photos I'm looking at on Google do not look like the man delivering that monologue. Oh, God, I hope it's him. No, <laughs> I so think you're right. I, I really think you're right. I'm just saying he looks different. It doesn't look like him? Gotcha. That's all. He looks different as time goes by. I'm with you. Yeah, he's in network. He's in network. Great. Thank goodness. <laughs> you're not so an idiot. Mis <laughs> so Mr. Wicker shows up, and I'm very excited to see him. He's a little bit down. Apparently, Mrs. Wicker is in the Berkshires, and that makes him a little sad, yeah. which is a sweet thing to say. Yeah, she's at like a craft festival or something. Like it's so yeah, northy. It's such a northeastern specific. It really is. It's very very funny. So he goes into in order to get into the Buckman's home because there's a huge armoire wedged into the door. Right, by the door the way. frame. It's stuck. It's not like hey, we can't get this in at all. It's wedged in. Yeah. So Mr. Wicker goes in through the apartment of the British folks, the British neighbors across the way. Mm -hmm. The Conways. The Conways. He uses their fire escape, mm -hmm. which the West we know Side they Story share. fire escape. Yep. And he comes in through the bathroom. The Buckman's home. Yep. He's got a cookie. Yeah. Judy Keeson baked cookies. Yeah. Or Maggie Conway. I mean, the Conways gave him a cookie, which I'm like, ooh, is this? Upon rewatching, I was like, this is foreshadowing. It's not. Uh, <laughs> oh. But it, it'll come up later. No, it is. This is not the last time we will hear about cookies. No. <gasps> Ross, that is great. Pretty cool, huh? That we'll is talk about Rich, Richie J. Sherway. What's, <laughs> what? What's his name on the West Wing podcast? Oh, Rishikesh Sherway. Uh, yeah, Rishikesh Sherway. Whatever. I forget his name. Yeah. <laughs> That's his level connection. There you go. I'm a, well, I'm That's an English teacher level I'm honored and flattered. Thank you, sir. I'm blown. <laughs> blown, baby. <laughs> Mr. Wicker comes in, and he busts the door. Rishi uh, K. Busts... Sherway. Yes. Thank you. Ugh. 
He busts the dresser out of the door with his hip. Then we talk about numbers for a little bit. This doorway is 38 inches. 38, right. And the armoire is 34. Okay, what is the second? 34. No, similar to a four. <laughs> 39. 39. Honey, stupid numbers. Yeah, we, we should really talk. Yeah, you need glasses, Jamie. You need glasses, Jamie. And I'll tell you why else everybody needs glasses involved in this scene. Because they are measuring this dresser, which in their, in everybody's defense, so the dresser is wedged in, right? <laughs> the middle of the dresser is wedged securely into this door. Uh-huh. Now, first of all, and then Mr. Wicker hip checks it out into the hallway, uh -huh. which is a fun little bump move. Then he measures it, and the doors, the door frame is 38 inches. Okay. He measures across the middle of the dresser. Uh-huh. Turns out it is 39 inches. Right. If that were the case, you would not be able to wedge this into the doorway. It wouldn't go in at all. It's too big. No, you, if you angle it a little, though, and shove it, it'll get stuck. Uh, maybe. Definitely. I'm not sure about no, that. No, definitely. Definitely? Yeah, definitely. Okay. You want to talk about definitely? <laughs> How about the top and the bottom of this armoire definitely have huge frames that extend maybe five inches on either side. Russ, so really, you're missing out on this. We body. watch it stuck in the door. We, yeah. What do you we, think? I, they I, built I, a new set just to accommodate this weird piece of... They built the furniture to fit the door. Something's up. <laughs> There are gaps in this. There are gaps in this logic. There are gaps in this measuring. You sound like a nut, my friend. <laughs> you sound like me with the spices. <laughs> we'll find out. So later that night, we cut to Paul and Jamie. They're going to have some Chinese food and watch an episode of a British procedural. This is so modern. Yeah. This is this like is very... our town. Like, this is the way we were. <laughs> in our takeouting, in our binge watching. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. In our British murder mysteries, this Even, is the yeah. way we were. Yeah, and yeah, always yeah. will be. Why am I blanking on the name of that very popular British show? I don't know any of like, Oh, sure. Downton Abbey. That's oh, it. sure. Like, yeah. my parents only watch British murder mysteries. Yeah. On Netflix and stuff. And, like, they taped it, and he wants to know. She didn't cheat on him. She was like, I taped it and rewound it. I didn't watch. Yes, that is very funny. That is very modern, yeah. Like, it's so fun. They're Netflixing and chilling. It's very sweet. They're going to watch The Barrister and the Bog Part 5. Jamie <laughs> taped it off TV. Yeah, and the specific of this case is Paul's like, the fish worker had a wooden foot, so how's he going to outchase all those dogs across the morgue? <laughs> <laughs> Which is an insane sounding scene. It sounds pretty nuts. Though. Like dogs I leaping over dead bodies. <laughs> Instead, though, it seems that they recorded Supermarket Mania. Yeah. Jamie screwed up. She sure did. But not in my mind, because I love Supermarket Sweep. If anybody wants to have a good time, watch old episodes of Supermarket Sweep on YouTube for five hours one night. There's no show I wanted to be on more. Oh, it's so good. I used to fantasize about hitting that meat section and racking up as many points as possible. Turkeys, turkeys, yeah. turkeys. Hams, hams, hams. Veal. Veal, Yeah. You're buying some cheap meat, Russ. You're going to lose. I got news for you. <laughs> Look, man, I'm not pulling this out of nowhere. They would always stuff Yeah, but they're turkeys. idiots. It's all about price but, density. You're right. What's the highest real estate on a piece of meat? I would love for somebody to just go up to the deli counter and be like, Hi, can I get a quarter pound of yellow American, quarter pound of honey turkey, <laughs> slice thin? <laughs> you're just yeah, someone shopping now? Just someone shopping, <laughs> yeah. yes. Just oh man, I got I took a number. Oh, I'm seven. Yeah, they're like in my mind. I already won. This is all free. <laughs> we get to keep this food, right? <laughs> Can 
can I sample the pimento loaf? <laughs> so we learned that, yeah, Jamie officially needs glasses. She doesn't want them. Jamie says, my whole life I've had perfect eyes. Paul says, you still do. They just don't work quite as well. <laughs> Jamie says, but why? Paul says, because you're getting older. Jamie snaps at him. Really? Where's your hair? Yeah, that's Paul great. Says, Paul says, you want to go there? Jamie says, no, I don't. I'm sorry. That moment's so real. She does it so hard. So hard. And he's so and also, hurt. So hurt. I'm mad at this joke because Paul Reiser has a full head of hair. I was a little too. He has yeah. no less hair than he's ever had. It's a weird, uh, like, I, and, uh, Well, yeah. if he has Speaking more as, hair than me, I'm mad. Right. Yes. Yeah. Speaking as a bald dude. Yeah. I'm mad. Yeah. I have one of my closest friends, my dearest friends, tragically passed away of cancer and battled it for years and years. And this happened after, yeah, he, he fought it. Years of chemo, passed mm -hmm. away full head of hair really i'm i'm mad at him <laughs> for this <laughs> it's i like i love him i miss him constantly and i'm saying goodbye I'm like, uh, part of me is just like yeah full head of hair full head of hair and i'm bald as a cue ball <laughs> that's god bless him. amazing <laughs> Mr. Wicker shows up at the apartment, and it's very late there. Jamie says, honey, it's 10 after 1. <laughs> Paul says, or if your eyes work, 5 after 10. That is a great... That Niven, what's his name? Nevin, whatever. Ira Levin. No, not Ira. Trap Victor. And is the fake <laughs> brother of Victor Levin. <laughs> I just wanted to get there the long that way. That is Oops. such <laughs> a great joke. It's really good. Th this it's really episode good. is full of many jokes that don't make sense. Yes, that one literally doesn't make right. sense. And that's the joke. But it sounds great. <laughs> and this, I noted some of the other jokes that would come across in this episode where that sound great and make you laugh because they're written as jokes, but they don't make any sense. Yep. That's one of my favorite There's kinds. There's a lot of them. It's one a, of my it's favorite magic kinds trick. of jokes. Yeah. It's true. So Mr. Wicker shows up. He wants to make sure that the door jam hasn't been damaged. Really, he was interested in some other stuff. The intercom acts up, so Mr. Wicker smacks it because he's got Fonzie powers. Yeah. Oh, that's right. You're yeah. right. He hip checks the armoire out of the door jam, yeah. out of the door frame. He smacks the intercom into working. In a second, he's about to uh, retire back to his office because he's going to go to the bathroom. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Russ, you were like killing it right now. Yeah, I'm, pr I'm very funny and very astute. No, these, I don't know what to he, tell you, John. These observations are blowing my mind. You're right, he is the Fonz. <laughs> he just needs a leather jacket. My favorite, so this is another, the intercom picks this up on the street, and I don't think it's a quote from a movie, because I tried looking it up, but it feels like a quote from a movie. Uh-huh. Tell them they're here. They know, they're here. <laughs> That's a great line. It's so weird. Tell them they're here. They know they're here. <laughs> That's really funny. So Paul says, you know, because Mr. Wicker says anything else I can fix. Right. Paul says the shower shooting pellets. <laughs> so he goes in to the bathroom and Paul follows him in. He's coaxed by Jamie into going in to find out what's wrong with Mr. Wicker, if everything's okay. It was weird to hear Jamie say this is probably just some man thing. Why? Why is that weird? I guess because I'm used to her just taking control of situations and resolving them. Sure. You wouldn't think that man thing would stop her? No, not at all. Yeah, yeah. She'd be like, I'm going to go talk to, yeah. to Mr. Wicker. Yeah, that's fair. Especially because it's not a man thing. It's a relationship thing. Right, which as we know, is a woman yeah. thing. Just, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Can't tame a stallion, baby. <laughs>
We learn that Mr. Wicker has been flirting with Mrs. Stern, who lives in 11J. Yeah, Annabelle Stern. Yeah, he's done a lot of handyman work for her. He fixed her toaster, John. Oh, this is another game this episode plays that's very fun. Yes. The super euphemisms. Uh-huh. He unbent her Venetian blinds. Mm-hmm. He rustoleumed her fire escape. And yeah, he fixed her toaster. <laughs> So he's feeling very guilty about it. He's, yeah. It's funny because he's talking to uh, Jamie comes in and he's talking to Paul and Jamie about all that he's done. And Jamie's just like, it's fine. You've got friends. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? It's an interesting perspective. Yeah. So you made a friend and Paul's just uh, Mr. Wicker looks at Paul and just says she's so young. Uh, yeah. I mean, how do you think Jamie would react if Paul came home and said, I have a uh, major crush on another woman? I don't think it would go too well. Me neither. Yeah. <laughs> It's very, that's, you know what? That's a very good point. It's an insane especially, perspective. Especially given, because, yeah, they say you should go and talk to yeah. Mrs. Wicker about it. Like, what are you, nuts? It's like, no. No, you shouldn't. Yeah, just bottle it up and it'll pass. Yeah. Because it's meaningless. <laughs> like a like a grown-up. Yeah. <laughs> what? This is a trope alert. What is? Only in TV and movies do people sit in a bathtub with no water. The three <laughs> yeah, of them gather true. in the bathtub for this little conversation. Sure. And it feels Can organic. Can you think? Yeah. Can you think of other instances? Because to be fair, he is there to fix the tub. Yeah, but they all all their shoes get like it made me crazy. Their shoes are in the tub. <laughs> you do hate Gook. You I, hate bathroom Gook. I do. <laughs> it was the poster for Casual. I guess that's the yes. main thing I'm thinking of. Everyone's sitting in the bathtub with their like legs hanging out or something. <laughs> sure. Okay. It's like I'll, look I'll... how chill we are. I will allow the trope alert. It's our life is so chill. It's like we're always taking a bath. <laughs> so the next day, Paul and Jamie are getting glasses for Jamie. They're both at the optometrist, and Paul's dad calls quickly to talk about plates. Earlier, Paul's mother called, and Paul's mom and dad are having a discussion and argument about plates. This serves no purpose in my mind. Well, it's going to come back around later, but right now it feels like these calls don't serve any purpose. They don't when it comes around either. Well, For the Mr. Wicker joke? Yeah. No, it's not worth it. It's not worth it? All right, we'll get to it. Cut it. Cut this plot. Cut this plot. Cut the phone calls. So they leave the apartment. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. They're not quite at the optometrist yet. They're on their way there. And after they leave, they run into Mr. Wicker, yeah. who is helping at 11J. He's sabotaging the doorbell. Oh. Mr. Wicker? Oh, um, Pat Buckman, sir. I was just fixing Mrs. Stern's doorbell. With a wire cutter? What are you saying? <laughs> Nothing. Hey, listen. When I know about fixing a doorbell, you could fit into this little button here. Oh. But were I breaking a doorbell so that I might be invited back by the occupant to fix it, well, even I, a layman, would know to bring wire cutters. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm vandalizing my own building. What's going on? Now you tell me. I had this dream last night. She was naked and I was a cigar. What do you think that means? (laughs) Didn't know a clip was coming. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty dodgy, man. She was naked. I was a cigar. That is another. Oh, that is a. Doesn't he sound like Rodney Dangerfield? Yes. I couldn't play. I thought Groucho Marx, but yeah, it's a very old school joke. It's wonderful. It's really good. And then we get Jamie busting out the fable of the celery and the cookie. It's hanging in your heart. You haven't done anything wrong. This is just like that great story with the girl and the celery. Exactly. exactly. Girl takes a piece of celery. She feels so guilty. It's as if she took a cookie. No, you're telling it wrong. See, this girl thinks taking celery is bad. Yeah, when in fact her parents would want her to take the celery. They would encourage that. Right, so instead of saying, hey, mom, dad, 
I took some celery. She keeps it inside and lets it eat away at her. As if she's taking a cookie. As if she's taking a cookie. It's a very touching story. The point being, this woman's a piece of celery, but by you're not telling your wife, you're turning her into a cookie. Well, I would be upset. Over what? She's celery. With a little bit of cookie. Really? Oh, 75 degrees yesterday, and I bled a radiator. Oh, listen, we don't need to know everything. Thank you, though. <laughs> Why do they say this like this is a real story? I don't know. She even says it's that great story. Yeah. <laughs> this is not a thing at all. And if it was a thing, it's not a great story. I didn't bother to Google it until just now. It's Anything? not a story. It's not a story. <laughs> wait, wait. Google celery and the cookie. Great story. <laughs> Maybe it didn't come up for just story. There's because that's a not enough. Book called The Flower Girl Wore Celery. I don't think that's it. Yeah, it was you written in 2016. Just to make sure. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe the author was working on an early draft and consulted on this episode. Maybe that's probably what happened. <laughs> the metaphor makes sense. Yeah, there are less clumsy, silly ways to express that metaphor. I love the I idea think. though of like he's turning the celery into a cookie by not telling her. Right. I disagree with it, but I think it does make the point well. Yeah, I agree. What I alchemy agree that. that would be if you could turn celery into a cookie? Oh, my goodness. Oh, you'd be the look most out, popular kid in school. Look out, Jesus. There's a new blank into blank yeah, guy in town. Yeah, turn celery into cookies. <laughs> <laughs> At Passover? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Everyone's like, hey, whoa, whoa. <laughs> hey, come on. Yeah, what are you We're doing? doing stuff here. Yeah. You're turning something that is integral to this <laughs> yeah. into something we cannot have for at least a week. Yeah. Uh, Moses so, is like, I got this. I <laughs> so now we get to the glasses store. And oh, one more euphemism, if I may. Oh, please. He says, the other night I bled her radiator. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah. Such a oh, boy. Ooh, no, lolly. these get really gross. Yeah. Because there's one later that I forgot to write down. I, I barely remember it, but it's something like I vacuum. I, I something or something. I remember. And he's like, not in the dirty way. And when yeah, you think got about that. it, the dirty way yeah. is so completely insanely disgusting. It's pretty filthy. Yeah. It's very filthy. It's almost dirtier than just making a dirty joke. It really is. We get to the glasses store and Paul and Jamie have the loudest conversation in the history of the show in the glasses store. That's true. They're putting on a little show for everyone. They are at least three to four feet away from each other. And they're just talking about uh, Mr. Wicker. Uh, <laughs> Full volume. This is a, uh, this takes in a place well at, attended glasses store. <laughs> at Devonshire Optical. Yeah. Which is up the street from their apartment in real life. Is it really? Yeah. That's it's neat. a stop on our tour. Can't wait. So yeah, they talk about how when you're in a 40-year relationship, monogamy, you just got to take it day by day, year by year, decade by decade. That's how it has to work. As they're having this conversation, Jamie is putting on, she's trying on a lot of different glasses, and Paul thinks she looks great in all of them. Yeah, he dotes on her a lot in this episode, and it's very sweet. It is very sweet. He says, you're beautiful first thing in the morning. You're beautiful in a bad hat. And then as the conversation goes on, Jamie asks, what bad hat? Yeah, all of them, Jamie. <laughs> yeah. You used to be a hat person. Yeah, there's a reason you're not. Yeah. It was not your best time. I wrote a question. It's a little yes. edgy. Okay. I wonder if Helen Hunt ever became a cookie for Paul Reiser or vice versa. Interesting. That Even I'll for a moment, you. you know? Like they had to shake it off at the end of the day. 
That's a good question. I will answer your question with an allusion to another NBC sitcom, The Office. Did you see a few years ago, Jenna Fisher was like, you know, when you work together and when you play a couple who's been in love for so long, mm -hmm. you kind of fall in love person too. So yeah. I think, and Jenna Fisher was like, so part of me is always going to love John Krasinski. And this part is Pam of and John Jim, is, everyone. Yeah. And a part of John, I think, always loves me and then they asked John Krasinski and he was just like oh no uh, no that is not true we are acting and I think Jenna needs to realize that and I'm not sure how that was to be he like, said out. that yeah but I'm not sure how much he meant it or how if he was being sarcastic oh thing, okay or if he was being honest or if it's just like dude I am you know I am married and That's my wife so Emily awkward. Blunt will not have it yeah <laughs> so, she was celery um, I swear <laughs> yeah Exactly. And his wife was like, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> the old tale of the girl and the celery. Sure, the celery and the cookie, absolutely. <laughs> Thank you for putting it in terms I can understand. <laughs> Thank you, Aesop. So <laughs> he's like, I didn't write that. <laughs> so Paul gets flirted with. Yes at this store. Jamie's trying to get atten the attention of an employee and instead she brushes her off and puts her hand on Paul Reiser's arm. It's like, intense. If there's anything you need, let me know. Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot. The way she shuts down Jamie especially is yeah. like she puts her hand up to her. Like talk to the hand. Yes. None of it is subtle. And this character is played by Kristen Cloak mm -hmm. who my girlfriend recognized because really, she was a guest star on the X-Files. Really? And a writer of one of the recent episodes that aired like a month or two ago. Oh, that's pretty cool. Isn't that funny? Yeah, that's great. Yeah. She also has a long resume about, oh, a couple diagnosis murders, silk stockings. I don't remember if we talked about that on the show. Oh my gosh, silk stockings. Hubba hubba. <laughs> USA, we know a lot of things. Yeah. <laughs> uh David Spade had a great old stand-up joke about USA uh -huh. where he was just like, USA is just like a show where every show is the, a bunch of characters walking into a movie theater and being like, oh, man, I can't wait for this boob fest. And the next cut, they're all walking out, and they're like, oh, that was a pretty great boob fest. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. <laughs> oh, and she was just in Lady Bird, which I haven't seen yet. She plays the character Miss Steffens. I have also not seen Lady Bird. Well, we should watch it. We should. For her. For her, by her, and with her. She's also in Willard. Is that the, the movie? rat movie. With, <laughs> yeah, with Crispin Glover and a bunch of rats. Yeah. Great. And then right after that, she was in something called The Year of the Rat. So oh, I don't, she was getting pigeonholed. <laughs> rat hold. Rat hold. So this is a monumental episode for me personally also. This is the first episode that I was not able to watch with Jen. <gasps> Schedules didn't work out. Oh. So I, yeah, I watched it twice solo and I did not like that experience. Yeah. I'm like, this is weird. Call me codependent. I don't care. Oh, you're codependent, I think it sounds like. I don't care. <laughs> but yeah, this is more fun. I don't have any of Jen's comments. Well, you're still her, doing uh, really well, though, so. Thank you. I appreciate it. But she also said, she was like, I want to watch it. Well, I was I was worried. I was just like, do you not want to watch these anymore? It's like, no, just timing. <laughs> She's like, we'll watch it tonight. And I was like, good, thank you. Okay. Oh, good. So my relationship is strong and fine. Yeah, I want you two to make it to episode 50. 
<laughs> so at this point in the episode, they get back to the home. They get yeah. back to the apartment. Jamie has glasses. She says, I feel like they're obvious. Paul says they're not obvious. The doorbell rings. Mr. Wicker's there. The first words out of his mouth when Jamie opens the door are, you got glasses. So yeah. Paul says, they're not invisible. <laughs> They almost are, though. Yeah, they're very... They're my least favorite frames of, that she tried on. Yeah, she tried on a lot of thicker frames, yeah. and these are basically frameless. Yeah, they look like two floating orbs. Yeah. Not orbs. Lenses. <laughs> no, they're orbs. You're right. Oh, this is another <laughs> nonsensical joke. Jamie asks how the glasses look from the side, and Paul's like, who's yes. going to walk into a room like this? And he walks sideways. Yeah, it's very silly. Which doesn't really make sense, but it's a great joke. <laughs> so Mr. Wicker asks from the door. He asks, how's the shower? Paul says, it's perfect. Mr. Wicker says, mind if I use it? Yeah. Yeah, kicked out. What a relationship these people have with their super. Boy. <laughs> it's so unrealistic. Yeah. It's not even funny. It's, yeah, I'm trying to think about what I would do if my super were to arrive unannounced at that hour period, let alone saying, hey, can I use your shower? I mean, you'd say, sure, and then panic-stricken text all your friends, be like, the super's <laughs> showering in my shower? <laughs> and it is the middle of the night. Yeah. We're in our pajamas. Can I stay with you guys? Yeah. Can I live here? Can I move in? Yeah, can I move in for a couple of days? <laughs> so we come back from commercial. Paul and Jamie are reading in bed. Yeah, she's reading some Dickens. Yes, Jamie's not using her glasses, and we get Paul asking her, to read for her because she's having a hard time. Yeah, a quiz. Yes, so she can't quite read without her glasses. Paul makes her do it out loud. Read to me. What? Read to me. What do you got? Dickens. Read me a little Dickens. Fine. The orphan looked up with a hungry face. <laughs> Happy? A little more, if you would. Huh. No, from here. Oh, Mr. Cavendish, he said. <clears throat> I am so besought with hunger. He was besought? He was an orphan. I wish I had a plate of porridge or some gruel. I'm so hungry. So very, very hungry. And cold. <laughs> And parentless. It does not say oh, parentless. Show, show me where it says parentless. What's happening? Oh, Dickens makes me hot. Fair enough. I did look this up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's obviously um, made up. Right. But I was curious if she was getting close because she's so smart that right. maybe she just knew it. Yeah. The word besought is only used once in the whole book. Really? Isn't that funny? I mean, according to the Gutenberg.org version of the book, which it's uh, written in English, so that's yeah. enough for me. Isn't that funny? That's very funny. That was her go-to word, and yet. Yeah, and I love how this, they do the please sir may I have some more scenes so that we all know it's all of a twist, but they don't do the please sir may I have some more parts. Right, I think yes. that's nice. I have not read it. It's they keep great. On saying, yeah? I haven't read it either, but... <laughs> I read, but, uh, but it's been around for a very long <laughs> no, time. No, I read part of it. I read a decent chunk of it. Is it Cravendish? They keep saying Mr. Cravendish. They do! And I thought it was Cavendish... Uh, Cavendish isn't coming up, or Cravendish. So they're just making up all of it. I think so. that name threw me. I don't remember that okay. name from the book at all. The <laughs> the rich guy who takes Oliver in, right? Right. Or I thought anyway. If I feel like if Dickens were to write the name Cravendish, he might get the note. Try Cavendish. <laughs> Ha 
that wouldn't make it through the editing process. Oh my gosh. You chased Alexander from Maryland. We roll along. <laughs> yeah, that's me. We need a name you can hum. <laughs> we need a name that makes you go pop, 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 you know. <laughs> yeah, so Mr. Wicker comes out of the bathroom, which means he comes into their bedroom. Right. In a robe. Yes, in a robe. He's making them treats. He's making some cocoa. Well, first, and, hold on. We, he crosses with a mm-hmm. huge wad of hair. Yep. And he says, I found some hair in the drain. I'll leave it in the kitchen. Weird and gross, Mr. Wicker. Yeah, hey, Wicker. Let's throw it in the Ta- trash. Tone it down. No one needs it. I know this is an episode full of oversharing, but if you find hair in the drain and you absolutely need to do something about it, you can just put that right in the garbage in the bathroom yeah. and let bygones be bygones. Indeed. Don't turn this hair celery into a hair cookie. Uh, well, okay. <laughs> I don't think you get this story. <laughs> <laughs> so Jamie tells Mr. Wicker to talk to his wife again, which is still not a good idea, which continues to be a bad idea. Agreed. Although, but here's the thing. Mr. Wicker then says, if she wants me back, she'll let me know. And that is as true as it gets. Yeah. And that is so hard for people named Russ Fader to understand. Uh, all young people. Like people our age, I think. Yeah. He has the confidence of a 64-year-old man. Yes. When we're 64, maybe we'll feel that way. Maybe. What a great song. (laughs) Getting better at it, though. So we go back to the glasses store the next day. Hold on. Hold on. What's up? A very strange moment. Go for it. Wicker drops off the cookies and everything Mm -hmm. and leaves. Mm -hmm. No, wait. Before the cookies, Wicker walks through with the hair. Right. Goes on into the kitchen. Yes. Jamie reads the Dickens. Yes. Jamie says, Dickens makes me hot. Right. And her and Paul start Start to do it with the door open and Mr. Wicker just in the next room. That's a great point. It's insane. We both were like, wait, what? (laughs) Look. And then he comes in two seconds later. Yeah. Oops, sorry. Yeah. Bottle it up, you two. (laughs) Look, she said, Dickens makes her hot. What are you going to do, John? That's true. Yeah. No choice. <laughs> no no choice. No choice to stop. No choice to say, hang on a second. Let me close and lock the door. Also, I have to insert this clip, if I may. Please. We've destroyed Wicker's life. Okay, but we've discovered the beauty of nutmeg. The whole yin-yang of life. It's fascinating. It's that Paul Reiser that we love, Tambor. We discovered the joy of nutmeg, the whole yin-yang of life. <laughs> yeah, the melody of that is it sounds very good it's why we we will like the show I think <laughs> I think you're right we go back to the glasses store now and Jamie is sitting with an optician and she's being told to follow her pen or follow the optician's pen yeah so she's either getting a neurological exam or a sobriety test. I'm confused as to what's going on. Yeah, I was a little confused by that too. But maybe contacts are a slightly different test. I don't know. I've gotten That's them, but I don't remember me this. Me too. And yeah, I no. I wait. Think yeah. What? No, I think that this happened. Maybe, but it was part of the. It was part of the glasses exam. Don't do you know the test where you have to watch the dot? It like flashes around a screen. I think so. Yeah. Oh, but you just tap every time. Never. It's a different test. Never mind. It's different. Mind. Yeah, it doesn't add up. It's weird. The opto- optometrist, so- by the way, is played by Tony Edwards, mm-hmm. who most notably, in my mind at least, is one of the businessmen from the Seinfeld episode, The Pie. I don't think I know that one. Or I don't remember it. It's a great episode that juxtaposes two different pie situations. One where Jerry's on a date and Mm -hmm. they go to the coffee shop and he's like, the apple pie here is great. And his date Mm -hmm. won't touch it and she won't explain it. She he's and it bugs him. He's like, why wouldn't she taste the pie? 
Because she didn't just like say, she was just like, no, I won't. Yeah. <laughs> so then later in the episode, George is at like the final interview of a business meeting and they order apple pie. Oh, it's the episode where um he buys that new suit. Remember, he like guards the suit all day until they have a sale. Right. Yeah. So in that final interview, the guy who he sort of like bought the suit, beat the guy yeah. to get the suit, ends up yeah, being yeah. the chef at this restaurant. Sure. And he serves the apple pie. And George is like, uh, uh, no, no. And all the business guys are like, come on, George, we're team players here. You know, if you're going to be part of the team. And he's like, no. So Tony Edwards was one of those businessmen. <laughs> I wonder what it would be like to put that theme song over moments in Seinfeld. I think it would be pretty similar. I think it I think it would. <laughs> he was also in uh Chud 2. I didn't know there was a sequel. Oh yeah. I'm gonna watch it now. I, you know, I like Chud 2 more than the original. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I did when I was a kid. Sure. Yeah. I think that's why. <laughs> Do you know Chud? No, I know of it. Yeah. Cannibalistic humanoid underground dwellers? Bingo. Sure. And he was in Hot Shots Part 2. Another... Wow, this guy's in sequels a lot. Boy, oh boy. And he was in Star Trek 4. <laughs> anyway. Look, I'd tell you which Star Treks I like Star Trek 4 more than, and then which I like them less than, but we got to wrap this show up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so that's Tony Edwards. So as Jamie is getting these contacts from the, yes, optometrist. I was saying optician. I'm not sure that that's a thing. but I think it is. As she's doing this, Paul is blatantly flirting with the girl showing glasses. Lightly. Lightly, yes. You're he's right. He's not being covert about it. Yeah. He's being, you know, he's... And, True. And Jamie, Jamie hears this and sees this, which is funny. And Jamie puts an end to it by asking him, honey, how do I look? Uh, Paul looks up and says, D did you get him in? She says, no, but this is how I'll look. Amazing. <laughs> I a great don't, joke. It's, it's also, I don't think it's the obvious joke. It's not. Because it could also come from her insecurity. Contacts, yeah. What? Sure, absolutely. Right? I think this absolutely. is Helen Hunt, partly, or the direct, whoever, this show, taking that moment and making it so active in their relationship. It's really good. It's really good. So, one, yeah, once she interjects, Paul stops the flirting. Also, one of my favorite jokes in the episodes here. Oh, yeah? Which one? You know, you have very classical features. Really? Yeah. Huh. It's funny because I've always been told I have easy listening features. <laughs> classical features. Very funny. Oh. Uh, very funny. That's the kind of joke where you're like, <laughs> oh, Paul, you, you were a bit of a player, I bet. Oh, yeah. You're you charming. Around. Yeah, Paul. I hate the game. I don't hate you, player. Yeah, I get it in that context, but in general, I, I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> I love the idea that the only person for whom you're allowing this is Paul Reiser. Well, but you're not doing it right. You're changing. The inverse isn't true in the, in this phrase. <laughs> love the player if you love the player. <laughs> but yeah, don't hate, hate the player. Like, if you're blaming the game, you probably need to blame the player. Yes. That's all it means. <laughs> Moving on. We get back to the apartment, and Paul is defending his actions. He's saying, what? I was being alive and good and healthy. Jamie says, you don't have to be healthy right in front of me. Yeah. This oh. is all about the flirting. Yeah, we learned that she flirts, apparently, with a guy named Tony from their Gristides. Mm -hmm. Which yep. is a New York grocery store, which is very it is. a very I, I'd never heard of Gristides till I moved to New York. Yes, it is very specific. So that's a very specific reference. Yeah. The specific is universal. And so oh, uh Paul brother. we learned my drama class in freshman yeah. year. Yeah, you are. <laughs> we learned that Paul bought <laughs> Today we're glasses. studying Victor 
Victor, quote, Ira Levin. <laughs> By the I way, he's got a nickname. the same person. <laughs> we didn't have a nickname for him. Now we do. It's just this other Levin's name. <laughs> Great. So Paul bought diving glasses from this salesman for $266. Yeah, I was like, who wears for... glasses while they're scuba diving? I don't know. Like, what, are you going to read for... down there? They're good for up to three atmospheres, so pretty good. Or do you think they wear... Oh, I guess you wear it under the ski the go... ski goggles. Under the... Uh, who? Yeah, who who wears ski goggles when they're scuba diving? <laughs> under the diving That's goggles? Is that what happens? I think so, yeah. So it's just business as usual under the goggles. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. There you go. That's smart, actually. It's great. Are you are you on board now? Yeah. Gonna go get some? Paul says that Mr. Wicker is probably out at Mrs. Stein's right now. Yeah. Shampooing her rug. That one, really. Yeah. Yeah. He says, probably Mrs. Stein's shampooing her rug. I don't mean that dirty, he yeah. says. Yeah, Paul, <laughs> that is too dirty. That is. That's a lot. Yikes-a-roo. As he's saying this, Jamie is putting her contacts in, and she is struggling. Ugh. This really won me over, the audience. You can hear the empathy in the audience's reaction. Yeah. And as they're doing this, as he's struggling putting contacts in, they have a moment that, to me, encapsulates relationships. Or (laughs) the annoyance of... This whole thing is an extended... Well, the whole show is an extension of a relationship, but... Very true. scene... This... Yeah, I don't mean to break new ground, everybody, but to me, to Russ Vader, this show's about relationships. I don't know. So, all right, John's a little skeptical. So so Paul says to Jamie, know what I think? Jamie says, no. Paul says, no, you don't care, or no, you don't... Oh, no, I'm sorry. yes. I screwed it up. Ugh. No, you don't know, or no, you don't care? Yeah, and we're going to do this just- again. What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He said, Paul, know what I think? No. No, you don't know or no, you don't care? Just what? Yeah. And I'm like, yup. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. One dude is trying to have a lighthearted conversation. One person is just keeping it breezy and casual. The other person is trying to do something and is annoyed by that yep. first person. That's relationship. It sure is. <laughs> also, in general, with that phrase, it is just like, I don't care. Who cares? Yeah. Like, do you really care I, if I said no because I don't know versus yeah. I don't care? What, well, I. What's the reason? Yeah. 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 <sighs> so Paul says the trick is to have the good and the healthy, meaning the flirting, and just not ruin your life. The Wickers have met in a lot of stock boys and eyeglass girls, and every time they make the decision, I'm going home. Yes. That's Very a nice, nice, succinct way of... Yeah. Jamie still cannot get her contact in, and Paul takes it off her forehead. Yeah, well, it's great, because she's like, is it in? Yeah. And he takes it off her forehead, and the audience yeah. dies. Loses it. Have you so had contacts? I did. It's hard the first few times. First few times are hard. It's unnatural to touch yes. your eyeball. It's it's very bizarre. But now I just pop them in like nothing. Yeah. I haven't worn them regularly in maybe 10 years or so. Yeah, I mean, we're both wearing glasses. <laughs> Right now, right. But yeah, I only wear them for like whatever. Yeah, auditions. I wore them or... for ho- yeah, I wore them for Halloween this past year. There you go. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, it's funny because I I was trying to not give away the fact that I was going to be wearing a costume, but I showed up in contacts and people were like, "Where are your glasses? What's going on here? What was your costume?" <laughs> My improv team went dressed as another improv team who performs that. Oh, night. I see. That's very and, specific. And they didn't know about it. And they also dressed as us, and we didn't know about it. So it was very funny and silly how that happened. That's really weird. It was, yeah. You we're, both we're all... decided to do the same costume in yeah. a way? Yep. Well, we all, yes. The same theoretic, decided... the same philosophical costume? Yes. Philosophy came into it heavily. Weird. We dress as them, they dress as us. Everybody kept it a secret. 
Very strange. <laughs> so Jamie can't get her contacts in. And she says, as Paul helps her by putting her contact in, she says, are you going to be here to do this every morning? And Paul says, what did I just spend 15 minutes saying uh, to you? Isn't that sweet? That's a nice, succinct, adult full house moment. Yeah, and it's almost buried. You almost miss it. Yeah, well. Well, because of all the physical stuff. Sure. That, that would normally get underscored, I think. If you were, if you were I really agree. trying to punch things up, it would get underscored right. by sappy music. He'd look in her face. But here it's just like, no, I'm going to be here to do this for you every day. Yeah. And we move on. He puts the contact in, and Jamie can't stop winking with the contact in her eyes. Trope alert. Here we go. Yeah. This is a classic Seinfeld. Yeah, everyone get ready for miscommunication based on her winking. Pulp can fly, baby. (laughs) By the way, I looked it up. You know, I'm referring to the episode of Seinfeld called The Wink. Yeah. In which, yeah, in which George gets pulp in his eye yep. and continues to wink, then winks at a person who thinks that they're he's sending mixed messages. That episode aired a year and a day after this one. How about that? Now I know how you feel when I point out something that I think is cool and you're nonplussed. There you go. She's on the other foot, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Wow. I gotta tell you though, it's pretty a neat. year and a day. That is truly incredible. Yeah. <laughs> John, I'll tell you it's pretty truly incredible. What? I made it 50 episodes without doing this to you. Yeah, that's true. I do it every week. Without pointing out something where it's just like, wow, that's not interesting. That's That's true. It is a little. (laughs) Actually, it's not. Yeah. No, I think I can objectively say that is not interesting. (laughs) Well, here's why I thought it was interesting. Because I was like, ooh, mad about you stole this from Seinfeld. But they didn't. Seinfeld stole this from mad about you. Ah, I see. I just needed to point it out because I'm too stupid to get it. Thank you. There you go. Now I get it. (laughs) That is interesting. Thank you. I'm glad to win. So (laughs) Mrs. Wicker is at the door. We meet Mrs. Wicker. Played by, are you about to clap? No. Oh, uh, played by Anita Gillette. Mm-hmm. Who does she look familiar to you? Maybe. Tell me where she's from. Once again, I'm my sure girlfriend's like, ah. <laughs> she played Liz Lemon's mom. Oh my on goodness. Dirty Rock. I did not recognize her from that. She also this. Okay, so we fell down a little K hole last night because okay. she was in a series called Me and the Chimp. What? Written by Gary Marshall. <laughs> oh my god. Thirteen episodes. Dentist Mike Reynolds is living a good life with his wife, Liz, and his two children. She played Liz. When Scotty and Kitty find a chimp, he reluctantly agrees to keep it, but finds his life turned upside. It's basically Beethoven with a chimpanzee. (laughs) This is amazing. So then that led us down a real K-hole of like, what other shows? Because I remember watching some shows with chimps. I don't know if I watched shows with chimps. Or movie. Like chimps were... Yeah. Chimps had a heyday in show business for a while. Oh, yeah. Like, you could get work. It was like the stand-up boom in the 80s. Sure, if you were the a chimp, chimp renaissance in the 70s. of 1984. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Right. So there was a show on Saturday mornings, and there's episodes. We watched the whole thing almost, like, 35 minutes on Saturday mornings in the 70s called Lancelot Link Secret Chimp. What? And it's <laughs> a show. I don't know what that is. It was on Saturday mornings. It was a show. <laughs> it is all chimps. Uh, all chimps. And their voices are dubbed by actors. Oh my god. And the god. chimps are dressed like people and it's a get smart esque spy show. John. And there is a scene where Lancelot Link as a chimp is riding a camel being pulled by another chimp playing his <laughs> butler. <laughs> it, it is the most surreal thing you've ever seen in your life. 
<laughs> because you start to buy it. But they're chimps making faces. <laughs> and you're following the plot. Oh my god. <laughs> In some of the character names, oh, the intro is an, a minute and a half. It's so long <laughs> because there's like 20 characters and they all have names like, so Lancelot Link, of course. <laughs> Mata Harry uh -huh. is, as described oh. in Wikipedia, reminiscent of the Jewish American princess caricature. <laughs> Popular Great. at the time. Her name, of course, oh was God. a takeoff on Mata Hari. Sure. Then there's Commander Darwin, who's the sophisticated mm -hmm. chip in charge of everything. Then just Bruce. Then we get to the fun and sometimes racist ones. We got Baron von Butcher, who's based on Siegfried on Get Smart. He's like a German right. bad guy. We get the Dragon Woman. <laughs> Holy cow. We get Wang Fu. <laughs> Who has, oh, one of the ways they like to get across people's uh, chimps. Listen to me. This is the trip of this show. The character is their facial costumes and accessories. Okay. So all the guys have different mustaches. <laughs> Oh, man. And the women have, like, earrings and hats. It's <laughs> insane. Ali Asasin, that's the Middle Eastern Yeah, who's... I, John, I got it. Here's a twist. He's the bad guy. Oh, no. <laughs> There's Blackie, who is the drummer in the evolution. So, okay. So, uh, here, just when you think you get the show, mm -hmm. they throw a twist. Lancelot is also the band leader <laughs> of an all chimp band. And they John! they play and sing <laughs> numbers in the middle of the show. And they're chimps. They're just chimps. I did not see this episode going this way. We didn't see our night going that way last time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll send you... Well, maybe we'll tweet the video this week because... Yeah. It, What's the maybe? Yes. Yeah. It's one of the most insane things I've ever watched in my life. Holy cow. That's stunning. Bravo. That's amazing. I'm very excited. <laughs> I'm about to do it again. <laughs> she also has a really cool theater resume. <laughs> no, but really cool. She was in the original Brighton Beach Memoirs, the original Chapter 2. She was in the original Cabaret. Wow. Oh, she replaced, uh, what's her name? Liza as Sally Bowles. Oh, great. Don't drink the water, Woody Allen's old So spine. maybe not quite the original. Yeah, cabinet. right. Well, I guess, she, yeah, she was the original She was in the original production, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> she was in the, yes, what you said. Gypsy. Great. She was in the original. Like, I mean, she replaced someone in the, she was in the yeah. original production. She's been in a lot of things. It's amazing. That's terrific. It's cool. Anyway, she's a, she's a great actress, that's all. Wonderful. If only she were a chimp. <laughs> so... <laughs> So, Mrs. Wicker shows up, and she knows all about everything that's going on in the entire building. Yeah. Yes. It's clear that she and Mr. Wicker are a team. She's a really good super's wife. Yes. She knows about the cats who are peeing in the elevator. Admiral Cheswick. Yes. Very silly. But Paul says, oh, he's an admiral now. Oh, he's an admiral. <laughs> so, here is where Jamie starts winking at Mrs. Wicker. And she thinks he that she is lying. So she says that Mr. Wicker isn't having any fun. And she winks. Mm -hmm. And, oh, okay, so that means he is having fun. I, did, I really couldn't get into that part. Yeah, I didn't love it, but it's okay. It, at least they keep it brief. That's right. And they don't let it carry on. 
Right. They shut it down like two seconds later. Paul's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. She's just winking. It's an accident. You're right. Instead of her leaving the room thinking like, oh, brother. Yeah. Not only do they keep it brief, but they ended quickly. Mm -hmm. Thank you for the clarification, John. I appreciate that. (laughs) So. uh, (laughs) You're so very welcome. (laughs) So Paul says to Mrs. Wicker, as a man who loves his wife, your husband is a man who loves his wife. Mrs. Wicker says, I know he is. And Jamie says, then why won't you take him back? Mrs. Wicker says, because I'm not finished hurting. When I'm finished hurting, I will take him back. Yeah. Which is another thing where it's just like, that's how long-term relationships yeah. stay together. People are not going to be done being mad or hurt at the same time. Right. You're going to want them to be. Chill out. And yeah, they will come weird. around. So, yeah, Mrs. Wicker then says, because Jamie and Paul have put their foot in their mouths yet again in this conversation. And Mrs. Wicker says, you know, your neighbors across the hall are right. You are just horrible people. (laughs) (laughs) So then we cut to later in the evening. Paul and Jamie are hanging out on the couch. And Mr. Wicker is baking at the Buckman's, at which point Mrs. Wicker arrives again. I'll get it. Claire, what are you doing here? You need it in 5J. What's the problem? 5J? That's us. That's us. Shall we go? Let's go. We're going to go. <laughs> so that's it? It's all over now? It's over. But how? Why? You don't understand? You got to have a good fight once in a while. You do? Sure. How are you going to stay together for 40 years? It's like the spit valve in a trumpet. He's such a romantic man. We had a fight a couple of years ago you wouldn't believe. About what? Couldn't even tell you. And it's not our business. It was about plates. Don't start. Come on. Goodbye, Buckmans. Goodbye, Goodbye, Wickers. This is so great. It is. We had a fight a few years ago about what? Couldn't even tell you. Oh, that's that's great. Yeah. It really illustrates the point of the show. (laughs) Sure does. And, uh, yeah, at that point, Mrs. Wicker says, I think it was about plates. And that's where we come back to. Oh, I missed that. Yeah. We come back. That's Paul's mom and dad. Oh, I'm an Fighting idiot. about plates. That's great. Isn't that good? Yes. See? Long-term relationships, you have lots of fights about things like plates. That's great. Isn't that lovely? A nice little dash added to this. A dash of seasoning. Yeah. Then that's it for the episode proper. We come back for the tag and Paul is reading Dickens to Murray and turns out that according to what Paul reads, Jamie was not making up the language. Yeah, it's that really is that strange and stilted. Very funny. I like that a lot it's as well. It's not at all how the book ends. No. <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> I read the last paragraph. A little different? A little different. <laughs> but boy is he a good writer. That Dickens? Yeah, like you can't put it down. I think we're going to remember that name, Charles Dickens. <laughs> Wait, is he the brother of uh, <laughs> Wally Dickens? Dickens who wrote Dickens? A, yeah. yeah. He wrote David on, Dickens, Sesame, former oh, mayor David of Dickens, York. former mayor. That's right. <laughs> rise, guys, and rise, gals. This was our 50th episode. Wow. And we thank you for coming along with us. Yes. I really enjoyed this particular episode of Mad About You. I didn't think I did as much as I did until we finished this. That's the way these things go. That's the way this show is, my friend. Yeah, we grew. We grew. We, we grew as people. Yeah. We, we hugged it out. And thank you all for listening and commenting and rating and reviewing and yeah. just chatting and listening. Thank you for listening to us. It means so much and we're gonna keep doing it that's what's gonna happen and if you haven't yet and want to get it on the action yeah subscribe to us on uh apple podcasts mm-hmm. tune in the uh, what's the s one 
Spotify? No, I, we, I wish. We can't get on there because... Stitcher. Stitcher, thank you. We can't get on Spotify because we played too... Uh, our clips are too long, I too think. Too many clips? Yeah, copyright gotcha. and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stitcher, you can tweet at us, at madaboutyoupod. You can Facebook us, at madaboutyoupod. You can email us, madaboutyoupod at gmail.com. If you have a chance, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us out. And, you know, tell a friend. Tell your friends. Or your loved ones, your family. Tell us what your favorite moment from the last 50 episodes. Yeah, and if you hate the was. show, tell someone you tell, hate. They might like tell, it. Yeah, tell everybody. What? Tell us what your least favorite moment was. Maybe this is your least favorite moment. Let us know. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to hear that. Sure. Thanks for coming along for the ride with us, everybody. And we've got a theme song, and it sounds like this. Nope. Don't need to clap there. It doesn't matter. <laughs> you do it every time. <laughs> Lately. <laughs> do I really? I don't mind it. <laughs> Our theme music is by John D. Ivy. Thank you so much, John. You're the best we've got. You're the best there is, and we've got you. <laughs> you're, you're the. Oh, this was such a good episode, and I'm crashing yeah, the end. Yeah, clap really threw him off, everyone. <laughs> so I don't even think they'll John, hear the clap. I think it'll get edited out. I think you're right. They're just seeing me sputter. This is an Easter egg. <laughs> Nathan Diffie did our logo. He is at Nathan D-I-F-F-E-E. Thank you very much, Nathan. And Vuk Ivanovich did our sound mix. Thank you, Vuk. Thank you, Vuk. John, we'll do this again. Yeah, 51. 51. Moving on. Ooh, that steak sauce. It is? Nope, that's 57. 57. Yeah. I screwed it up. I expect another <laughs> song. About, or no, another I guess song? I expect a sauce. A sauce. <laughs> <laughs> With cumin. There you go. Lots of cumin. And I love nuts. it. It's like pepper. Or nog. Nutmeg. Oh, brother. Nutmeg. Boy, oh, boy. Anyway. Let's get out of here. Let's get out of here. Thank you so much, Rise Guys and Rise Gals. I'm Russ Fader. And I'm John Marbley. And, and this, this is, is what, what we're, we're saying. saying.